So chapter 18, verse 1. Now, they're close enough to Midian that Jethro now sees the father-in-law of Moses, the father of Zipporah, whom Moses married, to come out and say, Hey, glad you guys have made it back. I want to come and talk to you and see you. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard about all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, that Yahweh had brought the Israel out of Egypt. So the news has already traveled. The news traveled faster than what they could travel. And he's heard about all the amazing things that Yahweh has done. So verse 2, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her back and the two sons, one of whom was named Gershom, for Moses had said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was Eleazar, for Moses said, The God of my father has been my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So he names his first son, I am hopeless. And he names his second son, God takes care of me. So that shows you the change in Moses throughout the time. How much contact has he had with his wife over this time? We don't know. But it specifically mentions that he's bringing Zipporah back to him, whom he had sent away earlier. Now she's brought back. And the implication is that after this, we're not told what happens. Does she go back with Jethro? Does she stay with Moses? We don't know. A lot of people assume that this is the end of their marriage, that they're divorced or something like that because of that. But chances are that's not true. Now, the reason they say this is because he sent her away. And that could be used as a divorce term, to send your wife away. First, I have a hard time believing that Moses is the one that divorced her because God makes it very clear that he hates divorce. And if Moses is going to be the representative of God, who is unconditionally loving and never divorces Israel, that's a very bad representative of God. Two, the words were the first in my notes. The word sent away is a neutral term that can be used in other ways. Okay, the word that's actually used for a divorce term is actually a different Hebrew word. This word in the Hebrew can be used of just any kind of sending away, not just divorce. Second, a different term is used for divorce. Third, Moses' marriage to the Cushite woman could have been after the death of Zipporah. So a lot of people are like, yeah, but he got married again. So unless he got, the only reason he get married again is Zipporah's gone. Well, Zipporah could have died and he got married again. Or he could have been a polygamist. Because nowhere does the Bible specifically condemn polygamy. We don't know. Fourth, the text here mentions Zipporah as Moses' wife several times. In this context, it keeps saying that she's his wife, she's his wife, she's his wife, and his sons. If they're divorced, you don't call them your wife anymore. So that context says that they're not. And she's not mentioned as going back to her father after this incident's over. Other than that, we don't know much about Zipporah. It's very interesting that there's a lot of people that were never told about their spouses. Or were told about the woman, but were not talked to, told much about their husband. Usually, for whatever reason, whatever figure God wants to talk about, the spouse, whether male or female, is not talked a lot. We don't know why. That doesn't mean the spouse is ungodly. But even the Abraham story, Sarah is briefly mentioned. Rachel and Leah are barely mentioned. Um, But the reverse is true. When we get to Manoah and his wife, who is the father of Samson, Manoah's wife is mostly talked about. And yet the husband is barely mentioned. 
Um, Hannah is mostly talked about in Second Samuel, the father of Samuel, and yet the husband is barely mentioned. So this isn't just like a anti-woman, pro-male thing. It's just for whatever reason, it's pretty typical that for whatever reason, God tends to focus on one spouse over the other for the sake of the story. Because God is more interested in telling a theological story of who he is than giving you a detailed history of everybody who lived in Israel and who they're married to. So for whatever reason, she's just not mentioned a lot here because the main point is who Moses is as a typology of Christ. So they come, and Jethro's wow. Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to Moses in the desert where he was camping by the mountain of God. And he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you along with your wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they each asked about others' welfare. And then they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to Egypt for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come on them along the way, and how Yahweh had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced because of all the good that Yahweh had done for Israel, whom he had delivered from the hand of Egypt. And Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh who has delivered the people from the Egyptians' control. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the other gods, for in the thing in which they dealt proudly against them, he has destroyed them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to eat food with the father-in-law of Moses before God. So Jethro comes, and he's heard the stories. But Hearing the rumors of the stories is nothing compared to hearing it straight from the man who was seen it and led it and did everything. And notice after Moses tells him all that Yahweh had done, Jethro's response is, now I know that Yahweh is the only true God. So he confesses Yahweh is the only God. But not only that, he and Moses go together and they make sacrifices to Yahweh. Jethro has converted to Yahwehism because of what Yahweh did in Egypt. Now what's cool is Jethro didn't see it. He just heard it. And it was enough for him. Now this is a huge mud in the face for Israel. Israel has witnessed this with their own eyes. And when they come, they accuse God of trying to kill them. Yet this pagan Midianite guy who worships other gods and is the high priest of other gods... He just hears the stories and he converts. And he doesn't just convert by confession. He converts by action because the sacrifice to Yahweh is basically to offend horribly his other gods. And then he's basically walking away from them. And if they're real, he's just reaped the wrath of his gods. And the high priest doesn't do that. And not only that, he's also stepping out of a a very powerful position. And he makes sacrifices to Moses, uh, Moses' God. And yet Israel still can't trust Yahweh. Now that doesn't mean Jethro is going to automatically be this amazing believer. But at the same time, he's done a whole lot more in one day than what they've done after seeing all this kind of stuff. And you're going to see those stories a lot in the Bible. You will see Israel constantly missing it, yet the foreigners will, I mean, Israel is completely walking away from God and worshiping other gods, and Naaman, the Syrian soldier from Aram, with leprosy, immediately converts. And the widow from Sidonia, 
who immediately converts when Elijah comes to her. And you're going to see this story over and over and over again. In fact, that's the point that Christ is going to make. When he's standing in Nazareth, he'll say, Behold, you are like the people of Elijah's day, that not one person in all of Israel came to Elijah as God in faith, yet the widow of the most horrible, evil, pagan nation in the world at that time converted to Yahweh. You're just like the Israelites back then. That's why they wanted to stone him. And they tried to kill him by throwing him off the cliff. But that's the point. You're going to see that over and over and over again. It's the people who are further away from God who tend to convert more quickly than the people who grew up with God. They tend to embrace them much more quickly and become more passionate. And that should be a warning to us. For those of you who've grown up in the faith for a long time, it's like that painting on the wall. You just get familiar with it and take it for granted. But the person who's been without God for a long time, they become desperate for him because they've gone a lot longer without him. And this is why Jesus says those who have been forgiven of much love much. And I used to think it meant the, the worst sins that you committed, that means you're probably going to love God more. But I realized as I got older that it meant the one who really, truly realizes how evil they really are, whether the goody-two-shoe Christian that grew up in the church their entire life or the hell's angel serial killer, when the person realizes that we're all exactly the same evil in our hearts, that's the one who loves God the most. And people who typically have been outside of God for most of their life tend to see that a lot more clearly than the people who grow up in the church and think, I'm a good person. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're a good person because you're not. Sorry. But that's the whole point of the Bible. You are the people in the wilderness. That's your heart if you're really, truly honest with yourself. And the more you can embrace that, the more you'll desperately cling to Christ and stop depending on your own efforts. And Jethro, who's lived his entire life with this pagan gods, and he hears about this Yahweh, is ready to embrace automatically. But he also observes that Moses is pretty worn out being a judge and hearing court cases for all these people. And so he comes to him and he gives him advice. You should delegate Moses. Now, whatever reason, Moses is not delegating. Does he think being chosen by God means that he has to handle everything? Does he have a hard time delegating because people who tend to be good at things have a hard time doing that? Does he look at these Israelite people and think, who is actually capable of doing this? You're accusing God of trying to kill us all the time. We don't know why. For whatever reason, Jethro says, eat better, sleep more, and delegate. Okay? And... But notice, too, a lot of people have accused Moses of listening to Jethro and setting up this delegation system outside of the will of God and that God does not condone it because it never says that God condones it. But don't miss what Jethro is saying. Jethro says, you should delegate, find men that you respect, men that are of integrity and good at administration, and then go to your God and ask if this is good for, if this is what he wants. And then it says that Moses did everything that Jethro told him to do. 
which means he went to God and asked if this is what he should do. And the fact that he did it meant that God said yes, because it says that he did everything that Jethro told him to do. And that's important because that phrase is used a lot in the Bible. If God wants to make it clear to you that they were obedient, a lot of times rather than repeating it, he'll just say they did everything that God commanded them or they did everything that he commanded them. And so this makes it very clear that this delegation system was approved by God because Jethro told him to ask if God was okay with this first. And what we've learned is that Moses doesn't blatantly disobey God. Does he disobey God? Yes. Does he, is he a sinner? Yes. Is he perfect? No. But he doesn't blatantly disobey God. And the one time that he'll do it, he gets kicked out of the promised land. And if God is going to take that that seriously, then he probably would have dealt with him here too. And so God approves of the delegation. And then, of course, when we get to the, the, the um, later books, especially in Timothy and Titus, delegation is the big-time rule of everything. Any questions, comments? Well, it only makes sense that you break down 70,000 people so you can't leave and do the trials and tribulations of 70,000. Now, and that, that's true, but remember, we're called to live by the Spirit, not our own logic, what makes sense. And that, that's, that's sometimes the mistake that we make, is we think, well, this just makes sense, and that's logical. And you, and you might go to God, and God says, yeah, it is logical. I do want you to do that. But that's not how we've been called to live. We've been called to bring everything to God, because sometimes God likes to say, no. Well, yeah. Sometimes God likes to say, yes, it is logical, but I don't want you to do it. Because I'm going to do something totally illogical, so it's logical that it's me. Or I don't want you to do it yet. Or something like that. And that's, that's kind of like going to your, you make all these decisions without your spouse over and over and over again. And your spouse is like, why didn't you talk to me? Well, it's just logical. I mean, do you think that was a good decision? Well, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. But that's not the point, right? And if our spouse feels that way, then how much would the divine God of the universe who wants to rule over our lives feel that way? And so, yes, that isn't, yeah, it's logical, but remember, that's not the, and that's where we get in trouble. And I'm not knocking on you, because <laughs> this is all of us. That's where we get in t- trouble. We're just like, yeah, but this is wise. Or it worked for him in the Bible. Or God already proved it 2,000 years ago with him or her. But that's not the point. Now we're to be led by the Spirit. And everything is to be brought to him. And sometimes he says, yeah, great idea, go for it. And other times he says, no, or not yet, or whatever. And that's the important thing that we're being taught here. Moses could have said, yes, that makes sense. But he still went to God, and God approved it. That's the hardest one for us, especially if you've been gifted by God. And, you've, 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 and especially today, we're like more educated than anybody's ever been in the history of mankind. And, and we got YouTube videos on everything now, on how to fix this and do that. And, and you can go to lawyers and accountants. I mean, it used to be that the only person you get advice from was your parents, and their advice was limited. I mean, even if they're really intelligent, really good at what they did, they're limited. They're only one life. 
But now you can go to counselors, and there's, there's more people in smaller spaces, there's YouTube videos, there's self-help books, there's, this how, there's all this stuff. And we live in an age of wisdom and knowledge, and, and tons of people have figured out what works best, and they write books of the seven habits of highly effective people and, and how to build a business, and it's coming from Bill Gates, and, and he struggled and failed, and it's like, let's learn from his mistakes, but, and we never think to go to God, who's the divine God of the universe who has way more experience than everybody else, and the only reason Bill Gates was able to do what he did because God gave him the brain to do it, and it's easier now to depend on the wealth of nation America than to go to God. In some ways, we're more crippled than we have ever have been in the history of mankind. Or to think that we're capable of doing it more than we ever were.